Hello, I'm Rachel Cassandra, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, November 23rd. The Petersburg Fire Department runs a junior firefighter program. It allows teens to learn the skills to assist the fire department with basic ground operations. The program is managed by adult firefighters. It's under the direction of volunteer fire chief James Stolpe. The big inspiration was actually to give the kids, some of the kids who aren't the top athletes, and they're not the top uh, in the music and stuff, it, and it just gives them another avenue to, to focus some extra energy on and to get out and maybe somewhere down the road if they catch the bug. Though it's a job opportunity, and it's the the bottom rung of that job opportunity. The participants, ages 15 to 17, train three times a month and learn a wide array of skills. These include getting the hose properly off the truck and getting spare bottles out for air packs. They also learn about the dynamics of fire. We're kind of hitting all the things, not, not as hard as if they were a real firefighter, but it gives them an idea of what this job is if they so choose to. And we try to get them inspired about it, say, hey, there are jobs out there. There are plenty of jobs for for people that want to work hard and and you you just have to just kind of have to put your time in. But oh, well, love it. I love it. Previous students have gone on to get jobs in fire departments outside of Petersburg, and one graduate became a member of the Petersburg Department and now is studying to be a paramedic out of town. We've had some success stories. I mean, if you consider them moving on to get a job, a success story. But if nothing else, they have an idea of what it takes to be in a community and being a volunteer. And they get that from the guys and gals that come up to help teach this class. To You try to instill that heart about being in a community and giving back and, you know, helping, helping your fellow man. The junior program meets on Mondays, and they plan to have more of these programs. A modified firefighter one and EMT one course will be held in January. For more information, contact the fire department at 907-772-3355 or email the fire chief at firechief1 at petersburgak.gov. Communities on the outer coast can brace themselves for a blustery Thanksgiving with heavy rainfall and winds reaching as high as 65 miles per hour in some communities today and tomorrow. Pete Boyd is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Juneau. He says storms of this magnitude aren't that frequent, but also aren't unheard of this time of year in southeast. So we're going to be expecting wind gusts, especially kind of for the Sitka area, uh, getting upwards of 40 to 50 miles per hour. At this point, we think most of the, sh- the strongest winds for overland are going to be a little bit further south, uh, the Heidelberg, Ketchikan area. But it's not out of the question to get some gusts up to 60 for, uh, for the uh, Sitka area. And then for rainfall, what we're looking at is as, the, uh, as it starts moving in, uh, we could be seeing about two to three inches of uh, precipitation. 
Boyd says two systems are at play in this storm. The first system will start to calm down tonight, and right now it's a little too soon to be sure where the second system will hit hardest tomorrow into Friday morning. Uh, this is a very complex system that's coming through, and unfortunately a lot of uncertainty. But what it is we are expecting are some strong winds moving through, especially for the Sitka area and outer coast, along with heavy rain. Either way, the high winds will likely affect holiday travel plans. Any travel on Wednesday and Thursday is going to be difficult. Uh, aviation is going to be hard, uh, difficult because there's going to be a lot of low-level wind shear, so uh, a lot of planes taking off and landing are going to be getting a rough ride. Low ceilings, low visibilities, and anybody who's planning on being on a boat, especially for the outside water, really need to uh, keep, keep check on the forecast and what they're and what their captain's capabilities are, because this is going to be a pretty significant system uh, moving through. Moving through, so want everyone to stay as safe as possible. Boyd says that the best way to keep up to date with the changing forecast is by visiting weather.gov forward slash Juno and tuning in to NOAA Weather Radio. A black bear cub euthanized at Glacier Bay National Park this fall is the first in the country to test positive for a highly contagious strain of bird flu. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, the cub lived at Bartlett Cove in Glacier Bay National Park, where parkgoers first noticed the animal's strange behavior. A cub was having a hard time walking and struggled to keep up with its two siblings and mother at Bartlett Cove in Glacier Bay National Park. Kimberly Beckman is a wildlife veterinarian for the state's Department of Fish and Game. She says concerned park visitors captured videos of the cub in October. They saw the bear cub. Um, they thought it was drunk. It was stumbling um, and then was abandoned by the mothers. Those symptoms are common with the strain, also called H5N1. It causes exhaustion and neurological problems like seizures. Beckman says the bear had no chance of survival at that point. It was very sad to see um, the animal's not going to recover. Its brain was swollen, um, and it would have died um, probably within hours had it not been euthanized. After euthanizing the cub, scientists took swabs and a sample of the bear's brain to test for rabies and canine distemper. They sent the samples to labs in Washington and New York for analysis. Beckman says the results came back positive for the strain of flu known as highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HIPATH AI for short. Um, test all wildlife that die with um, clinical signs or that are suspicious of having um, inflammation of the brain, encephalitis, or rabies. And we had to do the rabies testing on this animal before we could test it for, for high-path AI because of the um, risk from the tissues if it was infected with rabies. It's the first time the strain has been spotted in an Alaska bear. Wildlife officials say two foxes have also tested positive this year, one in Unalaska and one in Unalakli. Beckman says the only other bear diagnosed with the strain was an adult female black bear in Quebec. Because it was the first report in the, the U.S., that makes it reportable to the World Organization for Animal Health. Um, they, they'll report, the uh, federal government needs to report that um, because of it being a, considered a, a foreign animal disease and um, of international importance. Beckman says the cub found at Bartlett Cove was likely infected after scavenging a sick or dead bird. They have to inhale a, a large dose or, um, you know, while they're scavenging an infected bird, then um, get that virus 
um, laden into their respiratory passages. So it does not go bear to bear. Animals can also become infected by the virus by ingesting water that has been contaminated by sick waterfowl. She says the risk to humans is very low. Just four people have tested positive for the H5N1 flu worldwide, and just one in North America. But the virus has devastated poultry and wild birds. Nearly 50 million have been killed or euthanized this year alone, according to the CDC. In Alaska, wildlife officials say the Matanuska Susitna borough is still a hotspot for infections among backyard flocks. Beckman also says Sitka has recently seen infections among eagles. Fish and Game also reported infections among shorebirds, ravens, and waterfowl statewide this summer. Wildlife officials say residents should report sick, orphaned, or dead animals to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. The northern British Columbia city of Prince Rupert is looking to an international partner to grow its cruise ship port as the Alaska market continues to expand. The UK-based firm Global Ports Holding announced last week that it had signed a 10-year agreement with an optional 10-year extension with the Prince Rupert Port Authority to manage cruise services. Head of Business Development Colin Murphy says they aim to grow Prince Rupert's tourism sector. One of the challenges they have there is that because the volumes have been reasonably low, it's been difficult for local tour providers and uh, stakeholders to uh, comfortably invest in, um, in improving the guest experience there by providing more tours and more experiences and so on. So that's a point of emphasis for us going forward to help uh, Prince Rupert uh, be more successful. He says the deal doesn't commit Global Ports holding to any infrastructure investments up front, but otherwise declined to discuss the financial terms. Prince Rupert has welcomed about 41,000 cruise passengers this year, and that's expected to double next year. Murphy says the one-berth port has already booked calls from cruise company giants Carnival and Princess. Murphy says he doesn't expect Prince Rupert to grow as large as some of the massive Alaska cruise ports that welcome more than a million passengers each year, at least not for a while. But he says Prince Rupert is poised to take advantage of increasing congestion at existing ports, both in Alaska and further south. You know, long term, we think all of uh, um, the cruise lines are going to be more focused on finding berths for their ships. So having uh, a port in somewhere so close to the Alaskan market, this Prince Rupert, is for us is, uh, is very key. Murphy says he expects Prince Rupert to serve primarily as a transit port, rather than somewhere that passengers start or end their cruises. But he says there has been some interest from smaller cruise operators in making Prince Rupert a turnaround port. Global Ports Holding was one of two companies that bid to take over Ketchikan's port as the community considered a public-private partnership. Ketchikan City Council ultimately rejected the bid and chose to keep the port under city management in a 4-3 vote last year. A frosty evening with the mercury at 32 degrees didn't put a damper on the fun at Ketchikan City Park this past weekend. As KRBD's Maria Dudzak reports, more than two dozen kids went in in search of paper turkeys during the community's annual turkey hunt. Are you guys uh, pre-registered? Yes. yes. Uh, last names? Jenkins. Uh, Jenkins, Robbie and Stoney? Yep. Despite the cold, spirits were high and participants were excited to get started. Some 28 children, birth to age 12, participated in the event, 
along with their families and friends. New to the turkey hunt was little Lysander Hefley and his parents, James and Miranda. The family moved to Ketchikan earlier this year. I am really excited, mostly because Thanksgiving is one of our favorite holidays, and we want to see our baby just involved early and out doing things and, I don't know, making memories. And how old is Lysander? Lysander's 10 months. So this definitely is his first turkey. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But he's dressed for the part. His little turkey pants and a little turkey tie. (laughs) Jess Beach and her kids, Chloe, Charlie, and Autumn, were also new to the turkey hunt. 11-year-old Chloe shared her strategy. I was thinking, like, maybe I could just, like, like use a flashlight, and if something looks different on the trees or something, I could look there. Seven-year-old Charlie had a similar plan. If something looks, like, different, I, I'll just look even closer and see if it's a part of the turkey. Because I have my brain, and I know... A different, and and, I know a really good strategy to hunt for turkeys. Erin Brooks of Parks and Recreation explained the rules. Please go slow across the the walkways and the bridges. Every participant can grab eight turkeys, okay? When you are done grabbing your eight turkeys, bring them back to the table and we will exchange it for a goodie bag. Once everybody is back on this side of the park, we will draw for the raffle prizes. Then families combed the park, seeking small, laminated paper turkeys. I found another one. Uh-oh. Oh, little boy took it. Great. Yeah, this one. Oh, no, there's another one over here. Out of It didn't take long. Just 10 minutes after the event kicked off, the kids turned their turkeys in for goodie bags. Then came the drawings. Lysander Hefley, Grady O'Brien, Robbie Jenkins, and Charlie Beach each won their very own real frozen turkey. Do you want me to yell? Charlie Beach. Oh, that's Charlie good. Beach. He got a turkey. Yay. Is that you? Uh-huh. Hey, you get a turkey. You get a turkey turkey. Oh, awesome. <laughs> we haven't bought one yet. That's amazing. <laughs> After the awards were handed out, everyone headed home to enjoy their prizes and to get ready for the Thanksgiving holiday and strategize for next year's hunt. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. In Ketchikan, I'm Maria Dudzak. The candy cane hunt will be in December. Watch the brochure for announcements. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. And that wraps up the news portion of Midday Magazine.